Thank you, Gabriel. I'm glad to be with you this morning. If you'll take your Bible, turn with me. I really want to begin in uh, two texts momentarily. We'll get uh, to 2 Corinthians 8, but turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I want to just take a moment and let you know that we are at uh, Ankeny Baptist Church actively praying for your church and particularly the travail in which God has placed you with uh, Pastor Jim and his very grave illness, that we're actively praying for him. Uh, I remember years ago, my dad died in 2001, seems a long time ago, fine, fine godly man, knew Christ as his Savior. He had 10 years of uh, coronary artery disease with which he battled uh, heart attacks, surgeries, different things. And uh, there were, was one stretch where he was in the hospital for 10 years, or for, for not 10 years, let me put it this way, for six months at a stretch. And when he became gravely ill, he would often, when I would privately converse with him, he would express a bit of the fear of death, which is, I think, natural in the heart of us as people. And, uh, and I would read scripture, we would uh, review things, and I, I especially like this passage of scripture, and this is what we need to pray for Jim and Dory today, for their family, but also I think by extension for you as a church family. And you'll find it there, uh, one, of the, one of the great truths of scripture, Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's the ground, there's the bedrock of, of any sinner's relationship with God, which is that we are declared righteous uh, through faith, and therefore we have peace with God, that the enmity of God against us, the hatred against sinners, has been resolved in the death of Christ, and now I, a sinner, am at peace with God. And he says, verse 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access into this grace in which we stand. And there I would remind you, grace is the unmerited favor of God that not only is manifested in the person of Jesus Christ at Calvary, but it's also the grace in which we stand. You'll see that in verse 2. It's the present ministry of God to give us exactly what we need in extremely challenging situations. So we stand in this grace and he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so Paul notes the hope we have as believers. The hope we have that sin and death is not the final note of our life, that there is great hope. And he says further, verse 3, that we glory in tribulation. Now, if you, we're going to talk about paradoxes today. That really is a paradox. How can you glory in tribulation? How can, for example, Jim and Dory today glory? In tribulation. And, and, and you'll see in this text that what God does, He says, we, we glory in tribulation because we know that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope does not make ashamed. In other words, God is doing a progressive work in the hearts of each of us, drawing us through all of life's, life's experiences, which you understand apart from the rapture of Christ must include the reality of death. You understand that two people named Enoch and Elijah alone have escaped death. Only the church, which is present on the earth at the coming of Christ, will escape death. We don't know when that day will be. So 
it is likely you, I, Jim, and Dory will experience death. But there's hope. There is hope because of the work of Christ and what we have in him, which is the possession of eternal life. But now to verse 5 there. You find it in Romans chapter 5. I would especially have you note that. Uh, that hope does not make ashamed because. Because. And you'll, do you see it in your text there? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That is, I, I think in a, in, a, in a simple way, that, um, that there is the sense, the knowledge, the experience of the love of God in our hearts when we are going through life's most difficult events. So even today, whatever the outcome of Jim's illness is, we need to pray for Dory, for Jim, for their family, for your church family, there, that there would be the clear understanding of the love of Christ. He has not forgotten them, that they are in his hands, uh, that he is dealing well, sovereignly, capably, faithfully in their lives. And so even today, I know especially we need to pray for Dory, that God would shed abroad the love that God has for Jim and Dory, for their family. He was a church family. I know I have not known Jim nearly as long as you folks have, but to know and sense the love that God has for them and that you would sense the continuous ministry of God as he even presently by the Holy Spirit would communicate, listen, I have not forgotten you. You, you are yet in the palm of my hand. I, I, I exercise my love, my care, my ministry for you. And we need to pray that for Dory, for Jim, for their family, for, for you folks. And I know that Gabriel has already prayed, but let's just take a moment and ask that God would do that. Father, we pray that your mercy and grace would be given in abundant measure, and even that this text would be indeed true for Dory, for Jim, that even today, in the valley of the shadow of death, that they will sense that love of Christ that Paul says is, is hard to define. It's height, it's length, it's width to know the depth of, love, of the love of Christ. But that your love for them might be made clearly known to them. They would rest in that and know the joy of what you have given them in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a sovereign God who knows the beginning from the end. There is the sovereign design that you have so uh, purposed in their life. So even today, praying that you would give them uh, the, the abundant ministries of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God, and that they might know, experience, sense, feel, uh, live, and uh, enjoy the love that you have for them even today. So thank you for the day together. Thank you for the time to open your Word. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. That was the mini-sermon. Now here's the real sermon. And I, I would want to be a pastor to you. You understand that. I just want to encourage you. I, I still remember, as I noted, just trying to assure my dad, who knew the Lord many, many years, but he would fear when he was really sick. And just to gain the assurance that God has that he loves us. Second Corinthians 8. Let me read the text for you. And I'm going to center on verse 9, but let's get to verse 9 uh, <clears throat> by reading 
uh, at verse 1 of chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, and follow with me as I read it, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now pause, because we're going to look at it again. Reflect and remind yourself what the word grace means. One, one word definition of grace would be favor or kindness. Two words would be unmerited favor. Uh, many words would be the unmerited favor of God given to people who don't deserve it, most explicitly seen in the person of Jesus Christ because he is full of grace and truth. Grace is also not something that God has done for us in the past, but it is something that God momentarily provides in my life. That is the very power of Christ to address weaknesses, needs, and all kinds of challenges. And so when Paul says, I've given my grace to the churches in Macedonia. I'm giving my kindness, my favor. So, so think towards that. That in the great trial of affliction, verse 2, the abundance of joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Verse 2 is an indication that, that uh, though these churches were in great affliction and trial, Yet in poverty, they were liberal in their giving. This text is really a text about the giving of the believers. Verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Really a paradox. Now, uh, many of you have heard or know uh, our much loved now in heaven, Dr. Myron Houghton. And so he was the master of puns. So I'll show you a couple of puns. What's a paradox? The first is not the, that first picture. It's not a pair of doctors, nor, does a, nor is it a pair of Doc Martin shoes. All right? So it's not a paradox. What is a paradox? Well, it's a statement that seems to contradict itself or uh, to be in conflict with common sense. But it does contain a truth. For example, uh, these old sayings, more haste, less speed. Or slow down, accomplish more. Uh, a bird in hand is worth two in a bush. Now, now, some of you youngsters, you may have to ask your moms and dads some of these older things. Uh, or how about this? This is really old. A stitch in time st saves nine. Have you heard that? Slow down, fix it while it's small, lest eventually it'll be a, a big hole. It'll take nine stitches to accomplish repair. Or we talk about a gracious loser. That's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Um, in the scriptures, there's the paradox that says, He who loses his life for my sake, the same will find it. Or 
we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And so we find a number of these paradoxes. For example, why, uh, why uh, do uh, men deny Christ, but then curse using the name Jesus Christ? I always find that to be fascinating. Why don't they use some other religious figure to, to curse? But that's a bit of a paradox. Uh, why do millions, even billions of people who haven't the foggiest idea of who Christ is or what he came to do, why in the world do they celebrate Christmas? It's a bit of a bit of a paradox. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the long time, this is almost, I want to say maybe at least 75 years ago. I didn't look up how old Donald Gray Barnhouse was. He was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and wrote several books. He wrote uh, these about some of the paradoxes of the Incarnation. Let me walk through these very briefly with you. Christ's birth was physical so that sinners might experience a spiritual birth. Christ's birth was physical so we might have a spiritual birth. Christ was born in a stable so we could live in heaven. Uh, Jesus became a member of the human race so that sinners might become members of God's family. Christ became subject to all sinners so that we might be free. I know I'm moving quickly, so capture what you are able. Number five, Christ veiled his pre-incarnate glory that we might, might partake of glory. Christ was homeless on earth so we might have a home, so that we might be rich. Shepherds rejoiced over the coming of Christ to earth while there is joy in the presence of angels when a sinner repents. Just so many different paradoxes. He notes one more which is our focus today, that Christ died so that sinners might be freed from the clutches of death. And I could go on. For example, there's the purity of an unwed mother. Have you caught up yet? I know I'm moving rapidly. When you think of an unwed mother, we don't normally think of that mother as being chaste or pure. Uh, A situation which would normally bring great pain and shame, which is a, a, a pregnancy out of wedlock. But that was a situation of joy for Mary and Joseph. There's the announcement of the king of all the earth. Now, I know that we've glamorized the shepherds, but shepherds were... Um, I'm not sure exactly what occupation we might liken them to. I can remember working through college, having some very glamorous jobs. In high school, one of the worst jobs I had was I and along with some other teenage boys, we cleaned some poultry chicken barns, four or five story barn. And, and when the when we, we would first go in and we would we would go in hand, by hand. You know you were the laborer. If you had seniority, you worked the truck. If you didn't have seniority, you went in the barn. 
uh, five foot high ceiling, so we're stooped over like this, a foot of manure on the ground, so you're stooped down even more, and you scoop down, and you take three in one hand and three in the other, three chickens by the legs, and you flip them upside down, and you walk to the door, and you hand them out to the person loading them in chicken crates. And so we, we did that. It took about two hours to clean out a whole barn. And that was not glamorous. It was filthy, dirty, ugly. If you've ever seen a chicken barn or been in a chicken barn, you know that's shepherds. That's, they smelled. They were dirty. They, they worked constantly their, their sheep. So, so here, the king of all the earth is announced to the lowliest people in that culture, the shepherds. It's just to, to, to note the paradoxes. To think about the neglect of Jesus by his own people, the Jews, he came to his own. Remember John 1.11, he came to his own and his own received him not. But Gentile kings came to worship. Again, of interest. A baby born not to live but to die. Which is, of course, what Christ came to do. And so the central paradox that we desire to focus on today is the paradox of what Gabriel has read for us previously, Matthew one twenty three. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. Or it's the paradox of Second Corinthians eight nine. For you know the grace, the kindness, the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. The paradox is of Emmanuel, which is God with us. The paradox is that one born in such lowly surroundings, in a stable of common, poor parents, was born and then laid in a cattle feeding trough, was nevertheless the, the God of glory, whose splendor prior to his incarnation surpassed that of every heavenly being, uh, those who announced his birth to the shepherds. Here is a, a baby. Uh, and you understand that some of the theology we derive from, uh, from Christmas carols is not necessarily fully accurate. Did, I know this is... I don't want to shock you. Did you realize that Christmas carols are not inspired? Did you understand that? So, uh, what is it? Away in the manger. One of the lines is, no crying he makes. No, Jesus was a baby. And guess what he did when he was hungry? He cried. So, please take care when you sing. Now, please sing Christmas carols. I'm not asking you not to sing them. I, I kiddingly, I wrote in our church bulletin, uh, I think a week or so ago about, we sang Hark the Herald Angel Sing. I've changed the, the title of the Hark Herald the Angel Sing. So we know his name was Harold because that's the title of the hymn. Well, I'm, of course, kidding. You understand that here is a baby. And as a baby, fully human, and does what babies do. And yet, here is the Lord of all glory who spoke and created the worlds by simply the power of his word. 
I mean, I would like to have that power. Would you? I would like to say, sometimes when I'm laboring over a message, I'd like to stand back from my Bible and my notes and my computer and say, message, be done. Would any of you ladies like to look at your house when your kids have gone through it like a dose of salts and say, house, be clean. And instantaneously, there's no dust. Everything's put away. Why, a king could come visit, and you would be glad to have them come visit, because look at my house. And I just had to speak the words. No, we, we're not like that. Jesus, however, God the Son. The paradox also is that God is holy and must ever keep himself from any unholiness. And yet here he is, God, with us sinners. And you understand that's the miracle of the virgin conceiving by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, bypassing the the normal process of procreation through which we gain every aspect of who we are, which means sin. And so here is the miracle of the incarnation that the holy God, the creator of the universe, taking him to himself the essence of what he created. He became human. James Montgomery Boyce wrote this. He said, the coming of Christ to earth, becoming the God-man, is a great paradox. Christ, the richest of all, became poor for the sake of sinners who are the poorest of all. And this was so that we, sinners, might, through his poverty, become the wealthiest of all. And this wealth is the wealth of, not money, but it's the wealth of relationship with Christ. It's the wealth of being forgiven as a sinner. It's the wealth of being free from condemnation. It's the wealth of being able to live freely for Jesus Christ. And that's the grace of God to humanity. So see it clearly. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If you, if you want to memorize a good verse, uh, maybe even this Christmas season, this would be a fabulous text to just put in your mind. This passage of Scripture is found in a section where Paul is exhorting the Corinthian believers to excel in their giving, in their ministry to other people. Uh, how did Christ give to us? Quite literally, He impoverished himself so that we, who are the poorest, might become rich. And this impoverishment is the uh, taking to himself a full humanity with all of its limitation. Even though he was sinless humanity, there was the limitation of being human. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. And I won't bore you, but I would just remind you, who is Christ? Is he two people or is he one person? Answer, he is one person. He is one person with two natures. One is that he is fully human, body, soul, and spirit. Thus, as human, now he becomes mortal. That is, limited 
And even we know the ultimate end of that, being mortal, means we die. But in addition to that, having two natures being yet one person, he is the eternal Son of God, equal with the Father, equal with the Holy Spirit, who has lived in that triune relationship from all eternity, having no beginning. Now that Son, sent by the Father, empowered by the Spirit, becomes flesh. It, it, it's, it's almost makes your mind go bonkers when you think about it, because it's such a fabulous idea that somehow, in the miracle of God, that he became poor for me, a sinner. Which, be, which means he accepts full humanity. The poor become rich through the poverty of the richest. So let's ask ourselves the question, who are the poor? I, I would want to say you folks, but I ha- would have to include myself, because it's humanity. It's sinners, it's me, it's you. And what is the wealth they receive? And I've already indicated that to some degree. It's the wealth of forgiveness of sins. It's the wealth of condemnation removed. It's becoming members of God's family. Uh, It's just the wonderful reception of wealth. Well, who is the richest? Well, you know who that is. That's Christ, the eternal Son. He has no rivals. He is the one described as being Lord of Lord and uh, a King of Kings, the supreme mag- uh, magistrate, the the Almighty Potentate. And what it is? What is his poverty? His poverty is the incarnation. It's becoming humanity, but it's also his poverty, as as. Uh, Significant as that poverty is, it's the poverty eventually that he would be numbered as a sinner. Do you remember, uh, see if I can quote it correctly, do you, do you remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? Do you, do you, when you memorize, do you memorize verse references with verses? Uh, he has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we sinners might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Christ as a sinner, numbered him as a transgressor, treating him like all sinners should be treated, which is the soul that sins. Do you remember Ezekiel says, the soul that sins shall die. And so the poverty is that he became human, became numbered as a sinner. Christ was rich, yet became poor for us. Christ is the eternal Son. Uh, This would be so astounding uh, to, to imagine that you are Joseph and Mary, and you pick up your child. Uh, You've uh, you've cleaned his bottom. You've uh, wrapped him. You fed him. And here is this child. You know about children. I mean, when you brought your children home from the hospital, moms, dads, 
Did you walk in with your little baby and say, I'm going to show you around the house. Here's the refrigerator. Here's where we keep the food. Uh, here, here's the pots and pans. And here's your room. Now you take care of yourself. Or, or rather, is a child just totally dependent? <laughs> totally, absolutely dependent upon everyone and everything around him. Do you remember when Jesus was 12 years old? And, and they had gone to Jerusalem for Passover. So Joseph and the retinue that were with him as a family traveling back to Nazareth, that uh, they, they realize in their large gaggle of people that Jesus is not with them. <laughs> Three days out there, remember? I mean, moms, dads, uh, have you ever lost your child for a little while? There's that just... That wave of panic. That we're, so, so they traipse their way back to Jerusalem and they go to the temple and, and Jesus is there instructing the rabbis. <laughs> and he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And they, and they say, I'm badly paraphrasing here, but they say, we know that you need to about, be about your father's business, but you come with us. <laughs> and he does. And he speaks about growing in favor with God and man. And you see, there's this unique, here is the eternal son. Christ becomes man. Now, please remember, he does this without ceasing. We, we don't believe the Mormon theology that somehow that in the presence of Christ, there is something less than the full-orbed deity of Christ. Eternal, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That God has, get, has crossed that infinite distance between a holy, infinite, righteous God and small, limited, finite, sinful humanity. And so when you see those three words in Matthew one twenty three, God with us, see the great chasm that is covered in his coming. See, secondly, that Christ impoverished himself so that we might become rich. He became man. He became sin for us. Paul is speaking about the fact of the incarnation, and yet he is referring, referring to simply to more than something simply beyond the incarnation. He is referring not only to his entry into the world, but the purpose for his entry into the world. Have you noticed there are a lot of people that love to celebrate Christ of Christmas, but they don't have the foggiest idea about the significance of our Easter celebration, that Christ Jesus came not merely to be with us, but he came to die for us. He came to grow. He came to be the presence of God the Father in our history as human beings, and he came ultimately to be the Lamb of God who would give his life for the sheep. And so Paul uses that little phrase, and you'll find it in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Look at it, at it again in your Bible. It's right in the middle of the text. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet, now notice the next three words, for your sakes. For you, so that we might become rich. He did this for me. And that's why 
he began, as he did, Paul did in this little summary verse. This is grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. So, so simply see it around this simple idea. The poor become rich. You, a sinner, become rich through the poverty of the richest of all, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the Christmas carols has this refrain at the end, and, and that's really where this message draws us to. Come and worship Come and worship. Come and worship Christ, the newborn King. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for being able to open your word today. We pray that we would see and understand in some way the wonderful magnificence of the grace of Christ. Thank you so much for the the privilege of knowing you, of living for you. I pray that If some are present today who do not know Christ, lead them unfailingly to Christ. And may we who know Christ truly come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.